You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse number 5. The Bible says, Then sent Sambalot his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou uh, hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now it shall, uh, shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. Verse number 9, For they all made us afraid, saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Amen. And let's pray. Lord, we love you and we are so thankful for another Sunday. Uh, we can come and we can be together in church and we can open your word and we can see what you have for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to us and bless us and challenge our hearts. Uh, bless the children in their junior church and bless the other uh, junior churches going on. I pray for our bus ministry that's taking place this morning. I uh, thank you for all of those workers. Thank you for our nursery workers and those in our uh, sound booth and those who are uh, working around this property. Even now as I speak, I pray that you'd bless them. And I pray for those who are listening by way of radio today and those who are watching online. I pray that you give them a special blessing as the word of God is preached. May we be uh, hearers and may we be doers of the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We saw last week in Nehemiah chapter 6, the first four verses, we saw that you and I have a decision to make. In life, we can choose to be determined and choose to be focused or we can allow ourselves to be distracted. Did you know the devil loves to distract? Now this is a whole nother, this is a whole nother topic and I'm certainly, I'm certainly not going to preach this because this is not what I'm called to do. I'm not called to preach politics, I'm called to preach the Bible. But did you know many times, in my opinion, I think that the news media, I think a lot of what they do and a lot of the things they cover, I think it's a distraction, in my opinion. Uh, but I think the devil loves to distract God's people. Have you ever seen a basketball game? We were talking about basketball, and uh, we won't have a church split today, you know, between Duke and Carolina. That'll be in, during basketball season. But have you ever seen those basketball teams? At the end of the game, they'll show the pressure's on. There's a, a, a player that's shooting a free throw, and as he's shooting that free throw with time uh, run, winding down, a few seconds left, and it's a tie game, or it's a, they're behind by a point, and he's shooting that free throw. And they'll show that free throw shooter and then they'll show the baseline. And they'll show those fans along the baseline if it's the opposing team's fans. They are waving their arms. They are screaming. They're waving signs and balloons and anything, jackets or anything they can. They're trying to distract that shooter. Now, 
The, the backboard is made out of glass so you can see through it. And as you look through that backboard, you see the fans behind the backboard. And they're waving and they're moving and they're just trying to distract. If that shooter takes his focus off of the basketball goal and watches the fans, he will certainly miss that shot. But if that basketball player can stay focused on the goal, and if that player can stay focused on that rim, that rim's not moving. And if he can stay focused on that, and if he can keep his focus right, he's got a pretty good chance of making that shot. But if he's distracted, it's all over. And I want to say in the Christian life, you and I have got to keep our eyes on the goal. You've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. You've got to keep your eyes on what the Bible says. You've got to keep your eyes on the race that God has given you to run. You can't be looking in the sidelines. You can't be looking in the stands wondering what everybody else is doing. As a matter of fact, while you're running the race, I don't even recommend that you look behind to see what people are doing behind you. I, 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 I want to challenge you today to say you better keep your eyes on the finish line and the race that God has given you to run or you will be distracted. They tried to distract Nehemiah. Remember we saw last week? They sent four times and they said to Nehemiah, hey, come over here to the plain of Ono and let's meet, let's talk, let's have a little chat. And Nehemiah, all four times, he said, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming off this wall. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down and I have no desire to meet you and talk to you because God has given me something to do. Well, we saw last week that Nehemiah, he didn't allow the distractions to take him away from the work that God had for him. He stayed determined. He stayed focused. But now let's look at verse number five. Something happened. I see in this passage, and I'll give you a few thoughts from the remainder of this chapter. I see number one in verse number five. I see there is a shift. You see, the first four times they said to Nehemiah, hey, hey, buddy. Hey, pal. Hey, come on over here. Let's have a chat. Oh, come on. Hey, we go way back, you know. Well, verse number five, it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. Then sent, sent Sanballat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand wherein was written. Here's what the letter said. And it was an open letter. It is reported among the heathen and Gashmu, that's another name for Geshem, he saith it that thou and the Jews think to rebel. For which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. There's a shift. You see, what started off as friendly and what started off as seemingly innocent, now we see that the, the enemy's true intentions have come out. And I want to tell you, you better watch out because Satan works the same way. He starts out and it seems very innocent. For instance, in the Garden of Eden, Satan was just asking Eve some simple questions. Uh, uh, hath God said that if you eat of the fruit of the tree that you'll surely die? Doth not God know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you'll become like God's? Boy, that just sounded just so innocent, did it not? Well, you know, hey, you know, here's what God really meant or, or here's what will really happen. Can I tell you, Herod did something very similar in the New Testament. 
Herod met those wise men. And here was his tactic. His tactic was to try to win them over. He said to the wise men, he said, oh, you're looking for the king, the, 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 the baby that is born king of the Jews? He said, I tell you what, I got an idea. When you find him, can you bring me word again? Can you let me know where you find him? Because I would like to come and I'd like to worship him with you. Now, I, got, I know this is Sunday morning, and uh, I know some of you stayed up late, you know, watching baseball or watching football, and you might be a little groggy. You know, it's only 1140 in the morning, but I got a question for you. Do you think that's what Herod really had in mind, that he was going to go worship the baby? No, but his tactic was to deceive and to try to get the information from the wise men. Well, the Bible says when the wise men were warned of God in a dream, they departed, they went home another way. And when Herod found that out, he realized that he had been mocked and then Herod unleashed all of his wrath and had the babies all murdered in the land. You know what happened there? That was a shift. Herod had one tactic and when that didn't work, he went to destroy and he was on a mission to stop and to keep Jesus Christ from growing up and from becoming the savior of the world. Well, here's what I see. I see that Satan has many tactics. Satan has many weapons in his arsenal. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we must be careful lest Satan should get an advantage over us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, I would say that there are some Christians, I'm afraid, I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anyone here. If you're watching the service online or you're listening on the radio, I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Some Christians are ignorant. Some Christians are very ignorant of Satan's devices. Because you've got an enemy. You've got an enemy that he's lying to you and he's deceiving you. And his only reason is he wants to destroy you. And you have no idea because you never open up the Bible. You never read. You never study. The Bible says you better search the scriptures. You better study to show yourself approved unto God. And if you don't read the Bible, you are a sitting duck for Satan's attacks. Because he's got some pretty, pretty, trick, uh, uh, pretty tricky things up his sleeve that he's glad to use on you to try to destroy you. He's got fiery darts. The Bible says that Satan has snares, 2 Timothy 2, and he wants to take people captive at his will. You see, Satan's attack is not one-dimensional. Satan's attack is multifaceted. Satan will attack from all sides. He'll attack from all angles. Sometimes Satan will attack from within. You know what's amazing about churches? Is most churches are not destroyed because all the bars in town decide they're going to go on the attack against the church. Most churches are not destroyed because uh, all of the, uh, the, the wicked, heathen, uh, Satan worshipers and all the godless uh, fornicators and, and, and all the, the, the people cursing and swearing and taking God's name in vain, they all rally against the church and they destroy the church. That's not usually how it happens. You know how it usually happens? It happens from within. It happens when church members start criticizing one another and they start getting bitter at one another and they become jealous of one another and then there's pride and only by pride cometh contention and brother Dan you talked about in Sunday school a church does not have unity and a church has discord and that church will be destroyed well guess who started all that I'll tell you who 
the master deceiver, Satan himself, who is a liar and the father of it. And so we see the shift here in Nehemiah that the attack has now shifted. It has changed gears. We see number two, not only the shift, but number two, we see the slander wherein was written. It is reported. (laughs) Now, I got news for you. Whenever somebody comes to you and they say, I've been hearing, that is code. That is code for, I haven't heard one person say it, but I made it up and it sounded good. And here's what the enemies of Nehemiah are saying. It has been reported. People have been talking. People have been sharing. And people have been telling us, Nehemiah, that you and the Jews, you're trying to rebel against the king of Persia. Well, I want to tell you something. That wasn't the truth. Wasn't even close to the truth. Matter of fact, Nehemiah addresses it. I'll show you that in a minute. But there's the slander. We see in verse number uh, six that they were accusing Nehemiah of something. Well, did you know that there's someone else in the Bible who is called an accuser? And he is not an accuser of just a few people. He is an accuser of all the saved. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. The Bible tells us that Satan in Revelation, the Bible says that he is destroyed, he is cast down. But it says this in Revelation uh, chapter 12. It says that he ceased not to accuse them day and night. Did you know Satan does not just work 40 hours a week? He doesn't just cover the day shift. He doesn't just work the night shift. He works 24-7 to accuse you and to accuse me. And Satan loves to point out all the faults and all the flaws. Well, that's what they're doing to Nehemiah. They're accusing him of something. In this case, he wasn't guilty of it. It was not even true. But notice verse number 7. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. And now shall it be reported to the king according to these words, Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. (laughs) That's a threat right there. He said, we're going to tell the king that you have appointed prophets to preach that you are the king in Jerusalem. Well, again, Nehemiah was not the king. Nehemiah was just a servant of the king. He was just there to help build the wall. He was just there to help do what God had called him to do. Nehemiah was not about promoting himself. And I want to remind you, we're not here today to promote ourselves either. When we go out into this community, as we did again yesterday, you know what? We're not preaching about the pastor. We're not preaching about the deacons. We're not preaching about the Sunday school teachers. We're not preaching about all the wonderful people at Victory Baptist Church because you know what we are? We're a bunch of sinners, but we're sinners that have been saved by the grace of God. And we have a message to tell. We have a story to share. We have the good news that we're not the king. We're not the one that it's all about. But Jesus Christ is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And this is actually prophetic, even though it was a lie. But they said there is a king in Judah. Well, guess what? There's going to be a king who's going to sit in Jerusalem, who's going to sit on the throne of David. His name is Jesus, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years over this earth. And he will be king of kings and lord of lords and of his dominion and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. 
The king was Jesus. The king was not Nehemiah. They lied and said, you're just trying to be the king. You're just trying to rebel. You're just trying to do all these things. There was the slander. They threatened that they would report this lie that they made up. They'd report it to the king and then said, now, do you want to meet with us? You better meet with us. You better meet our demands or we're going to lie about you to the king of Persia. I'll just say I've got a lot more I want to say, but I'll say about the slander. As Christians, sometimes we can be guilty of fighting fire with fire. Have you ever had somebody say something mean to you and you think, <laughs> you better watch out. I know how to fight back. You think you're good with your words? I'm the king of comebacks, right? Or I'm the queen of comebacks, you know, whatever case it may be. But can I tell you, you don't fight lies with lies. You don't fight hate with hate. You don't fight bitterness with bitterness. You don't resort to the world's measures and you don't re resort to the devil's weapons to fight that battle. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You know how you fight a lie? You tell the truth. You know how you fight somebody that hates you? You love them. You know how you fight somebody that's bitter? You forgive them. You say, Pastor, that's no fun. Yeah, to your flesh, it's no fun. But can I tell you, it works if you do it God's way. And it works if you will, rather than responding an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it'll work a whole lot better when you love those that hate you and you do good to them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Nehemiah was slandered. Nehemiah was lied about. By the way, he's not the only person that's ever been lied about. They lied about Jesus. They lied about Jesus to the extent that he was crucified and he was put on a cross for lies against him. And yet while Jesus was on that cross, when he could have called legions of angels, when he could have called the host of heaven to come down, Jesus did not do that. But instead, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We see the slander, number two. Number three, I want you to notice the statement. We've already talked about it. But notice verse number eight. Here's Nehemiah's response. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. It's interesting to me that Nehemiah, Nehemiah did not write a 10-page response <laughs> He did not write an essay and say, you're a bunch of liars and you did this and you did this and you did this. And here's why I believe that's true. Did you know if somebody will lie about you, they're not interested in the truth. Have you ever noticed that? Amen. Have you ever had somebody lie about you? And they lie about you and then you tell them the truth and they don't want to hear that. So here's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says, here's my answer. It's not true. And then I love this. He just goes back to building the wall. I mean, you talk about a focused individual. Most of us, when somebody lies about us or somebody slanders us or somebody's rude to us or somebody, uh, you know, tries to get us in trouble at work. Most of us, I mean, we're on like a mission 24-7 to try to get them back. 
When in reality, we ought to be on a mission 24-7 to glorify the Lord and just keep serving God and just keep pleasing Him and just do what God's called us to do. And Nehemiah's statement was, he said, it's not true, you made it up, but anyway, I don't have time for you, I'm going back to work. And Nehemiah stayed focused. You say, well, pastor, what's our statement? What's our response when, when Satan attacks? What's our response when people lie? What's our response when people are angry? And what's our response when people are hurtful and people are rude and, and people are mad? What's our response? I'll tell you what our response is. Just stand on the authority of God's word. Just keep your own backyard clean. Just keep living for God. Make sure that you're doing what's right and just keep on serving God. Don't get out of church. Say, well, somebody at church said something about me. Well, I got news for you. If they hadn't done it, it'd be somebody else. And if it didn't happen last week, it'll happen next week. That's life. That's the way it goes. Satan is on the attack. Satan's out to get you. And Satan will use any way he can. So don't worry about the lies. Stand on the truth of the word of God. Keep your sword in hand. Keep the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and stand on the truth. His statement. But then I want you to notice verse number nine. He says, for they all made us afraid. That's what these letters were meant to do, was to try to cause Nehemiah and the people to be fearful. They all made us afraid, saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Verse nine, Nehemiah prays and he says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when Nehemiah prays for God to strengthen his hands, he's not talking about the fact that he needs more muscles in his fingers, you know? Remember those old grippers, you know, that you used to have that you squeeze, you know, to get your fingers strong? Well, I got good news for you. The next generation does not need those because their thumbs are super strong from texting and their fingers are super strong from video games. They don't even need those old gadgets, you know, to strengthen their fingers. But that's not what Nehemiah is talking about. The term in the Bible is found many times, but to strengthen hands, it literally means to be encouraged, to be encouraged for the work. And Nehemiah says, the enemy wanted to weaken our hands for the work, but we need God to strengthen our hands for the work. And I want to say today, you may be here, and maybe it's been a rough week, it's been discouraging. And you say, oh, pastor, I don't know who you're talking to. I'm never discouraged. Well, I'd love to know your secret because we all get discouraged, right? We all go through hard times. We all have times where our hands are weakened. But Nehemiah prays that God would strengthen his hands. He says, God, I need you to encourage me because I'm a little depressed right now. Remember the story or the, the psalm in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, where David prayed. David was a man after God's own heart. David wrote many of the Psalms, and yet David said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? He was saying, he was saying David, he was talking to himself, David, why are you so discouraged? David, why are you so defeated? David, what is your problem? The Apostle Paul, I think, was the greatest Christian that probably ever lived. Apostle Paul wrote and he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. The things that I should do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, I do those things. You know what Paul was doing? He was battling with the flesh. We all have that battle. 
and the flesh gets discouraged. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we need God to strengthen our hands. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 2, Therefore now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant. The Bible says in Job chapter 4, would you hold your place in Nehemiah 6 and go forward just a couple books to Job, Job chapter 4. I want you to see this passage, please. Job 4, one of Job's friends is talking to Job after all of Job's uh, tragedy and after all of Job's loss. And he says in Job 4 verse 3, Eliphaz says, Behold, thou hast instructed many and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Now, we know a lot about Job, that he was a man that was righteous and he feared God and he eschewed evil. But here we see something else about Job. You know what Job was doing in his life? He was going around encouraging people. He was looking for people that had weak hands and he was saying, hey, I want to strengthen these people. I want to help these people. I want to be a blessing to these people. Can I tell you, that'd be a great ministry for everyone in this room to take home with you today. Why don't you look for somebody that needs some encouragement? And I promise you, you won't have to look very far. You say, well, the person sitting next to me in church, they always, they look like they've got it all together. Yeah, they might look like it, but how many of you know, there's times where we may look like it, but we sure don't feel like it. Wouldn't that be a good ministry if you say, I'm going to be the person that just tries to encourage people this week. I wonder how many of you and recent days or even maybe years past, but you remember vividly. How many of you remember ever getting a, a text message or a phone call or a letter where somebody encouraged you and it came at the exact right time? Would you raise your hand if that's ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I've, had, I've gotten text messages or letters or phone calls from people I haven't heard from in years. And I'd get the call or I'd get the text message at a time where they had no idea what was going on in my life. You know why they called me? The Holy Spirit told them to. The, the leading of God in their life said, hey, you need to call Jeremy Coburn now. You need to text Jeremy Coburn now. And they didn't know what I was going through. But their words were encouraging at the right time. Say, so, well, pastor, I tell you what, I wish we had more people like that because I've been waiting a long time for somebody to call me and encourage me. Yeah, and I got news for you. You might be waiting a lot longer. But if you would say, I'm going to see who, who I can encourage, I'm going to see who I can help, you don't have to wait for that. You can start that immediately. And Job was a man that strengthened those whose hands were weak. Notice verse number four. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. Job was a man that encouraged and strengthened the hands of people. But then look at verse number five. But now it has come upon thee. And thou faintest, it toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. You know what's true is you may be an encouragement, and you may help people, and you may look for all the people you can help, and praise God for that. But there's going to come a time when you're going to be the one that needs some encouragement. And that's where you're going to have to go to the Lord. Like Nehemiah said, strengthen my hands, O Lord, for the work that you've called me to do. We see number four, the strengthening the encouraging. We see the source of strength. The source of strength was not in the builders. 
The source of strength was not in the friends back in Persia. The strength was not in the leader, Nehemiah, but the strength was from God. His hands were strengthened by the Lord. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, my hands are weak. I'm discouraged. I'm having a hard time. I got news for you, friend. You don't have to stay discouraged because there is hope in God and there is help in God and there is strength in God. And if you feel discouraged, you're not the only one. There are heroes of the faith who've gone before you who they were discouraged, but they didn't stay discouraged. They got their eyes on the Lord and God encouraged them. Notice Isaiah 35 verse 3 says, strengthen ye the weak hands. That's something we all should do and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense and he will come and he will save you. Turn with me to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, please, verse 10. The Bible says, fear thou not for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. It just means don't be discouraged. For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. If you're here today and you feel like you got some weak hands, I got news for you. Grab a hold of the hand that has all power and the hand that has all strength. And God says he will uphold you with his right hand. We see number four, the strengthening. Number five, go back with me, please, quickly to Nehemiah chapter six. I'm gonna wrap this up. I see number five, the spiritual discernment. Nehemiah, in this passage, he has a prophet. And the prophet says, Nehemiah, they're gonna kill you. You better run to the temple and you better hide in the temple so that you'll be safe so they won't get you. Well, there's a problem with that. That's not what God wanted Nehemiah to do. It wasn't time to run and be scared. It was time to stand and be strong. And besides that, this prophet had been hired by Sanballat and Tobiah. What they were trying to do is they were trying to catch him. If he would have gone into the temple, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't supposed to be in there. And if he would have gone in there, they could have said, look at Nehemiah. Look what he did. He wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, oh, everybody look at Nehemiah. And here's the thing. God gave Nehemiah the spiritual discernment to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not following you. I'm not going with your program. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. Now, friend, I got news for you. There will be people in your life that will give you some pretty bad advice. I don't have time to give you all the scenarios, but I'll give you one. You're having problems at home, having problems with your marriage, having problems with your kids. And you'll have some knucklehead at work who their marriage has not worked and their children have not turned out and their life is a wreck and they're going to be the ones to tell you all the things you need to do. Now, I got news for you. That's not the person you want to be listening to. Especially if anybody ever tells you something contrary to what the Bible tells you. So here's what you and I need. We need some spiritual discernment. You say, well, I'll just call you, Pastor. I'll just call you and I'll ask you what I ought to do. Okay. 
Well, here's what I'll tell you to do. I'll say, well, what does the Bible say? I'll ask you this. I'll say, well, have you prayed about it? What do you think? What do you think the Holy Spirit's telling you to do? Because every one of us as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and we ought to have some spiritual discernment. You're going to get spiritual discernment when you read the Bible, when you pray, when you come to church, and when you allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead you and guide you and direct you. And we need some spiritual discernment. They tried to trick Nehemiah, but I love what it says in verse 11. He says, should such a man as I flee, and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. You need to say no to some people this week. When your buddies say, hey, let's go out drinking this week, you need to say no. That was kind of weak. When your buddies this week, when they say, hey, we need to go out drinking, you need to say no. Amen. That was better. I wasn't planning on being here till one, but friend, if, if you're going to be that slow in responding, we might be here a little longer. I tell you, for some young people, some young people, when you get around the crowd and they say, hey, let's go to this place or let's hang out over here or let's do this or let's act in a way that is immoral and ungodly. We need some young people that will be willing to stand up and say no. I'm not doing it. You say, but everybody else is. Doesn't matter if everybody else is doing it. We must do what God has called us to do and do what is right, even if we stand alone. Amen. Spiritual discernment, number six, I see the service of the king. Verse 15, the wall was finished. Hallelujah, they finished the job. But notice how they got it done. Verse 16, the end of the verse. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Anything that is accomplished of eternal value must be done through the power of God. We've talked about this, I feel like, so many times in these last eight and a half years. We have seen, and I, I know there were many miracles that happened before I got here. I'm just speaking of the ones I've been here to see. But in these last eight and a half years, there have been so many times where I have stood back and I've said, wow. That was only God. Wow, I, 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 I can't even begin to take the credit for it because I had no idea the things that God was doing. And can I tell you, we need God to do the work in our lives. Amen. There should be some people that would look at this ministry and say, wow, that's the work of God. And we as God's people must do the work of God with the power of God. And then lastly, I'm done, number seven. I see in this passage, it's verses 17 through 19. <laughs> I see the saga. The saga is, you would say, okay, good, the battle's over, right? Nehemiah, he's good to go now. Well, look at verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him. Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah. Verse 19, also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. You know what happened to Nehemiah? He won this battle, but the war wasn't over. The enemy was still sending letters. They were still trying to discourage. They were still trying to destroy. We see that Nehemiah had to every day keep his focus on God. And so do you and so do I. You got to keep your focus on the Lord. You see, the battle is not over. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound 
and we're going to be out of here, and then the battle will be over, okay? There'll be no more fighting the flesh, this robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. But that hasn't happened yet. And until that happens, there will be battles. There will be struggles. Whether you're here today and you, you work as a, a teacher or you work in the medical field or you work in law enforcement or you work in construction or uh, you're here as a, as, as a father or a mother or a husband or wife or whatever it is, there will be struggles. There will be obstacles. There will be battles. But I'm glad we don't fight the battles by ourselves. I'm glad we have the power of God who has promised us that He will strengthen us. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.